Good morning and welcome to the Friday, February 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to scripture reading, uh, devotion, prayer, and Bible study. Uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some wonderful work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a very good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, I got to be upfront with you. You know, I've been sick all week, um, though I've been getting better and I'm definitely feeling better today. I'm not, I've not got the snuffles like I did yesterday, though I may snuffle a little bit here while recording. I will do my best not to, um, but I am feeling better. But um, I was so bad last night when I was supposed to be uh, doing the study to be able to do Bible study and stuff for this. My wife and I sat down to watch a program. We, we we try to find programs that we can watch together. We have very, very different tastes. So we try to find stuff we enjoy together. And this was a program, and I'm not going to name it, but a program from back in the 90s, when around when we first got married, um, that we never, ever watched. We watched all kinds of other stuff, like like Friends and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not, any of these I mentioned, I'm not encouraging you to watch. I'm just saying we did. Um, at that point, we weren't saved. But, um but so this was one we haven't watched and my wife came across she said hey why don't we try this so we'd watched a few and enjoyed them so last night she went to turn it on last evening and this is 4 30 in the afternoon and you better believe i dropped out i dropped out i was just so tired so i'm sorry i didn't get i didn't get studying done for this so we're just going to do bible study like or bible reading like we do on the weekend and our devotion and prayer um, and we'll do that through the weekend. We're going to pick back up in uh, John 18, starting in verse 12, this next section where Jesus is actually arrested and the beginning of the trial. I think this is actually, I think MacArthur actually calls this section, um, it's like part one of Jesus's trial or, or it's like scene one or something that he calls it because you do, you go through multiple scenes, his first time with, with, you know, the Sanhedrin folks, um, there in the middle of the night and then with, um, and then, of course, there's his time with Herod, and then you've got his time with Pilate himself before he goes off and he's crucified. So if he, I think MacArthur, if I remember correctly, looking at it, um, though not getting a chance to really read into it, um, he breaks it up into scenes here or scenarios or something like that. So that's what we'll pick back up on Monday, God willing. But so for today, let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and open up with the six day morning prayer called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. 
let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 16th. The text is from Philippians 4.11. I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. These words show us that contentment is, contentment is not a natural propensity of man. Ill weeds grow apace. Covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. We need not sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough, because they are indigenous to earth, and so we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious thing of the things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be a garden, and all the gardeners care. Now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven, and if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then we must be especially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Paul says, I have learned to be content, as much as to say he did not know how at one time. It cost him some pains to attain to the mystery of that great truth. No doubt he sometimes thought he had learned and then broke down. And when at last he had attained unto it and could say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He was an old gray-headed man upon the borders of the grave, a poor prisoner shut up in, ne in Nero's dungeon at Rome. He might well be willing to endure Paul's infirmities and share the cold dungeon with him. If we too, I'm sorry, we might well be willing to endure Paul's infirmities and share the cold dungeon with him, if we too might by any means attain unto his good degree. Do not indulge the notion that you can be contented without learning, or learn without discipline. It is not a power that may be exercised naturally, but a science to be acquired gradually. We know this from experience, brother. Hush, that murmur, natural though it be, and continue a diligent pupil in the College of Content. Excuse me, that is very, very, very true. And I want to actually point you at something. Um, sorry, I need to look it up very quickly. Um, our, our men's group right now is working our way through a book by a Puritan called Jeremiah Burroughs. And I want to, I'm having to go over to our little church announcements. I do, I, I work on the online um, order of service. So you can actually um, scan a QR code on the way into the service and you can pull up our order of service on the phone, what our liturgy is, and it has our announcements and all that stuff. So the, the, our men's Bible study, the book, and I would encourage you to get it. In fact, is I think I actually got it for like a dollar, dollar and a half in Kindle for Kindle, um, from Amazon. And it's called the rare jewel of Christian contentment. And it's by Jeremiah Burroughs. Uh, and it's based off of those verses in Philippians that, that we just saw, um, in Philippians from Philippians four, I think. Um, it's Philippians 4, Philippians 2, but anyway, it's Paul talking about his contentment. It is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, we haven't finished it yet. We're still working our way through it. Um, it is definitely worth the read. I mean, especially worth a dollar and a half. Um, it, it really, really um, has been incredibly convicting for me about contentment, being content as a Christian. Um, definitely worth your while for men or women. We're doing it as men, but it's for any Christian, men or women. 
I would encourage you to pick that up and add that to your library. Please do. All right. So we'll get on into our reading. I just, with, with what Spurgeon was saying there, I was like, I really needed to put this out there because it, it was not a book I would have ever thought of. And somebody brought, I think our pastor brought it up for our men's study and we went, yeah, sure. Why don't we do this? And it, it's, it has been such a boon that we've, we're working our way through this. All right. So our reading for the day. So we've moved from Exodus. We're into Leviticus. So Leviticus 1, 2, 3, Mark 1, 29 through Mark 2, 12. Psalm 35, verse 17 through 28, so wrapping up that psalm, and Proverbs 9, verses 13 through 18. So Leviticus 1, hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man from among you brings an offering near to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall bring it near, a male without blemish. He shall bring it near to the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Then he shall slaughter the young bull before Yahweh, and Aaron's sons the priests shall bring near the blood and splash the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the suet, over the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer up and smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. But if his offering is from the flock, of the sheep, or of the goats, for a burnt offering, he shall bring near a male without blemish. And he shall slaughter it on the side of the altar northward before Yahweh, and Aaron's sons the priest shall splash its blood around on the altar. He shall then cut it into, into its pieces with its head and its suet, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. The entrails, however, and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall bring all of it near and offer it up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. But if his offering to Yahweh is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring near his offering from the turtle doves or from young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it near to the altar and wring off its head and offer it up in smoke on the altar. And its blood is to be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar eastward on the places of the ashes. To, I'm sorry, to the place of the ashes. Then he shall tear it by its wings, but he shall not separate it. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the wood which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Leviticus 2 Now when anyone brings near a grain offering as an offering to Yahweh, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. And the remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to Yahweh by fire. Now when you bring near an offering of a grain offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers spread with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering made on the griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it into bits and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Now if your offering is a grain offering made in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. 
and you will bring in the grain offering which is made of these things to Yahweh, and it shall be brought near to the priest, and he shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall raise up from the grain offering its memorial portion, and he shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. And the remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to Yahweh by fire. No grain offering which you bring near to Yahweh shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to Yahweh. As an offering of first fruits you shall bring them near to Yahweh, but they shall not ascend for, for a soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall bring salt near. Also, if you bring near a grain offering of early ripened things to Yahweh, you shall bring near fresh heads of grain roasted in the fire, grits of new growth, for the grain offering of your early ripened things. You shall then put oil on it and place frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall offer up in smoke its memorial portion, part of its grits and its oil, with all its frankincense as an offering by fire to Yahweh. Leviticus 3 now if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he is going to bring near one from the herd, whether male or female, he shall bring it near without blemish before Yahweh. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons the priest shall splash the blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall bring an offering by fire near to Yahweh. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall offer it up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh is from the flock, he shall bring it near, male or female, without blemish. If he is going to bring near a lamb for his offering, then he shall bring it near before Yahweh, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall splash its blood around on the altar. And from the sacrifice of peace offerings he shall bring near as an offering by fire to Yahweh its fat, the entire fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food, and an offering by fire to Yahweh. Moreover, if his offering is a goat, then he shall bring it near before Yahweh, and he shall lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the tent of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall splash its blood around on the altar, and from it he shall bring near his offering as an offering by fire to Yahweh, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma, all fat is Yahweh's. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your places of habitation. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. Mark 1, starting in verse 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she began, began waiting on them. Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. 
And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus rose up, went out of the house, and went away to a desolate place, and was praying there. And Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go elsewhere to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, pleading with him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in desolate areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Mark 2, reading through to verse 12. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And being unable to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof over where he was. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the mat where the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your mat, and go to your home. And he got up and immediately picked up the mat and went out before everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Psalm 35, uh, verses 17 through 28. Lord, how long will you look on? Bring back my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among a mighty people. Let those who are wrongfully my enemies not be glad over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously, for they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They open their mouth wide against me. They said, Aha! Aha! Our eyes have seen it. You have seen it, O Yahweh. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my justice and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Yahweh, my God, according to your righteousness, and do not let them be glad over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say, We have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who are glad at the evil done to me. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonored who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who delight in my righteousness. And let them say continually, Yahweh be magnified who delights in the peace of his slave. And my tongue shall utter your righteousness and your praise all day long. Finally, Proverbs 9, verses 13 through 18. 
The woman of foolishness is boisterous, a woman of simplicity, and does not know anything. She sits at the doorway of her house, on a seat by the high places of the city, to call to those who pass by that way, who are making their path straight. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here, and to him who lacks a heart of wisdom, she says stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that those she called are in the depths of Sheol. All right, well, since I'm not doing a Bible study, I actually had something I wanted to go ahead and, and I'm going to speak briefly about it. I'm, I'm not going to go on for long, but, um, oh, that's not what I wanted to do, but I did want to speak briefly about it. Um, and again, I'm not doing big, long podcasts about it anywhere else, but I'm going to point you where you can go, um, to get very clear delineation of this for yourselves. Um, because I think it's critical that we know these things. Um, there we go. So I didn't, I, I, I have to fess up. I did not watch the Super Bowl. Did not watch it. Don't get me wrong. I used to play football. I, I loved it. Um, you watched it all the time. Loved it. Um, I could not tell you the last time I watched a football game, college or professional. Um, it's just gotten so ridiculous. Um, I'm not, I'm not a college fan anymore. Anyways, not, not what the indoctrination factories they've become, um, which is too bad because I came up in the Lute Olson era era at university of Arizona. I was there when he came there the first time I was a student and in the pep band. And so I got to see the games all the time. Um, and so, you know, miss that, but, but it really stopped doing any of that kind of stuff. Um, but one, one of the big things that a bu bunch of quote Christians, professing Christians, and I say professing cause they profess to be Christians, but I, there might be some question there have been talking about how wonderful the he gets us ad was is, Oh boy, they're getting Christ out there, you know, to, to hundreds of millions of people that are watching. No, they're not. And, you know, of course they'll make the argument, well, maybe they didn't do it perfectly, but, but at least they got Christ. You know, there's conversation about Christ. Yeah. I'm sorry. When God builds his church, when he builds the body of Christ, but that's his building the church. Yeah, he doesn't do do so. He can do so through any means whatsoever, but he does not choose to use flawed, faulty means that promote a Christ that is not the Christ of the Bible. The arguments that have been made to try to support that thing, um, and I have seen that ad. While I didn't see the the, the Super Bowl, I have seen the ad. Um. It, 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 I'm going to make a few statements and I'm going to point you at a couple of podcasts you're going to want to go listen to because both of these people, much, much smarter than I am, much more godly people than I am and did a wonderful job. So that's why I'm not doing a whole episode really about this. I just wanted to break this, bring this up short. Um, the, he gets us ad. Yeah. It, it, it puts out a very man centered message. That's not what Christianity about. Christianity is not about being man-centered. It is about being God-centered. It's about being Christ-centered, not man-centered. Um, the other thing is, and one of the arguments they make is, well, you know, Jesus washed everyone's feet. No, he didn't. He washed the feet of the 12. And of course they'll go, well, see, he washed Judas's feet. And, I, and my comment there is, yeah, and what happened to Judas? He went and hung himself. He didn't go and hang himself because he was like, my faith wasn't strong enough. He hung himself because he screwed up. 
You saw two different people. You saw Peter who denied Christ weep because he had failed so much in his faith. And he was just so aghast that he had let down his savior. And you saw Judas who, yeah, fell apart, but fell apart for worldly means, for worldly things. Very, very different. But what they don't understand is that Jesus is not accepting of everybody. Yes, God would love to save the whole world. The fact is he doesn't. And the fact is he doesn't leave us in our sin when we are brought to a saving faith in Christ, when he draws us to him. He does not leave us in our sin. What they were trying to put across there is a, you can come a, be a Christian however you are. Now, please don't get me wrong. No, you don't have to wait to fix things to then come to Christ. No, that that's ridiculous. And that's still being man-centered because you're trying to put it on you. And the fact is you can't save yourself. Fact is I can't save you. Even if I bring you the gospel, I can't save you. Um, that's, that's not my responsibility as, as, as a preacher. That's not my pastor's responsibility as a pastor. Um, we, we're not to save you. We're to bring you the message. God's the one who, who saves you. Um, you can't save yourself, but that message was very much about, and it, it very much put across the fact that, that we should be accepting of everybody. Don't get me wrong. We should be loving of everybody. I, I will be very, very clear. Jesus was the first one to put across the fact that either you're a Christian or you're a, you're part of the mission field and we should love both. I'm all for that. I absolutely agree with that. Don't, doesn't mean I always do it. I, I'm totally going to fess up to that. But that is the example I should be following is I should show that love. But that love means I tell you the truth that if what you're walking in, if what we're walking in is abject sin, then that's got to go away. We cannot continue practicing sin, meaning walking in that sin every day and truly be Christians and truly be safe. That, that is not the characteristics of a saved person, but that's what that he gets us tries to put across whether they want to admit it or not. That is the message that comes across there. That is not the tool that should be used by true Christians to bring Christ to the world. You know what it is? It's the gospel. That is the only thing we need. We bring the gospel out of the scripture and we bring it to them in love. Meaning we are straight up about their sin, about what our sins were that we've been saved out of and what their sins are that they must be saved out of, not saved in, saved out of. I'm not going to sit there and just look at and talk sweetly to a guy standing on the railroad track as the freight train of God's wrath comes barreling down on him. I'm going to tackle him. I'm going to make absolutely clear. I'm going to tackle him off that track. I'm going to be very, very clear. If you stay on that track, you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. That's it. Dead in their sins. He gets us, doesn't get that. Yes, I would agree. I, I, I would agree. So uh, let me let me tell you about the two podcasts and we'll go ahead and close up. Um, the two podcasts I would go to, Owen Strahan. Let me spell it for you. S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. Yeah, it's Strahan. Owen Strahan. He's a seminary professor. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Love listening to him. He put out an episode. It's actually out on YouTube, but he also does it on a podcast. The podcast and the, uh, is called Grace and Truth. 
Um, but you'll also find it under that on YouTube. The episode is called He Saves Us, a response to He Gets Us. Um, great, great episode. Um, I actually posted it to my Facebook. So if you want to go find it at Wayne Floyd, um, of course, there are many Wayne Floyds out there. So I don't know if you'll find it or not. But anyways, it is on my Facebook out there. But He Saves Us, a response to He Gets Us. Great, great episode. He deals with this and much better than I just did by a lot. The other one I would point you at is Allie Beth Stuckey. You can find this on YouTube as well, but I think she does it as a, as a um, and I think it's relatable. I think her podcast call, is called Relatable, but it's Allie Beth Stuckey. Um, great. It was her episode 949. What he gets us gets wrong. Very, very, very good episode as well. They both deal with it and they both basically kind of talk the same way, kind of from a different approach, but they both basically tell you the same thing, but it's worth listening to both. I listened to both and I've listened to others about this same thing. Please go listen to it because he gets us is not how we bring Christ to the world. All right. Well, let's go ahead. We are going to, I'm going to read us our closing devotion for today. It is the February 16th devotion from uh, Thomas Watson's Glorifying God. The text for it is from Philippians 4.8. Oh, still in there. Whatsoever things are just, lovely, of good report, think on these things. The scripture is the royal law which commands not only our actions but affections. It binds the heart to good behavior. Where is there such holiness to be found as is dug out of this sacred mire? Who could be the author of such a book but God himself? That the scripture is the word of God is evident by its predictions. It prophesies of, good, of things to come, which shows the voice of God speaking in it. It was foretold by the prophet, a virgin shall conceive, Isaiah 7.14, and the Messiah shall be cut off, Daniel 9.26. The scripture foretells things that would occur many centuries later, as how long Israel should serve in the iron furnace and the very day of their deliverance. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, Exodus 12.41. This prediction of future things, merely contingent and not depending upon natural causes, is a demonstration of Scripture's divine origin. Consider the impartiality of these men of God who wrote the Scriptures, who do not spare to set down their own failings. What man who writes a history would black his own face by recording those things of self that might stain his reputation? Surely had their pen not been guided by God's own hand, they would never have written that which reflects dishonor upon themselves. Men rather hide their blemishes than publish them to the world. But the penmen of holy scriptures, scripture eclipse their own name. They take away all glory from themselves and give the glory to God. Amen. Definitely agree with that. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me again. I pray that um, our time together continues for, for all of us, that we'd be more and more saturated in the word of God. I hope my little little talk about he gets us helps you. Please go to those other podcasts and listen to them. They do a much better job than I would do, even had I taken longer to do that. Um, but you really need to hear it and realize that he gets us is not the way we need to be going with this. All right. Let's go ahead and close out with the six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. 
How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God? Exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and saviour. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you, do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good day. God bless.